Good morning. Christ is risen. Very good. So today is the 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus. It's the last Sunday of Easter. Now, on April the 23rd, a month ago, we began our series of sermons going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we've seen in this series that when Christians die, their souls rest in heaven with Christ. And their precious and broken bodies um, decompose from dust to dust, ashes to ashes. But what we've seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that our souls in heaven, our bodies in the earth decomposing, this is not the end of the story. Our souls resting in heaven, our bodies decomposing, this is not where Christian hope ends or arrives even. The great hope Christians have is going to heaven when we die, and then this wonderful thing occurs where Christ raises the dead, remakes the universe. So Christians believe in a two-stage post-mortem reality. First, those who belong to Jesus go to be with him. That's good. Paul said in Philippians, he was in a particularly rough patch of life. He was um, rotting away in jail, and he said, right now it would be better to die. For me, to die is gain. I get to be with Christ. And some of us have been there. Some of, some of us live there where death would be a gain. Um, Keith last week talked about Tim Keller's death. Right before he died, he told his family, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I just want to see Jesus, right? But that's stage one. Stage two is one day. This age will end. And on the last day of this age, Jesus will appear. Heaven and earth will come together. And God will send a shockwave of resurrection throughout the universe. It will kill death and it will raise the bodies of Christians. Christians will, our bodies will be released from the grip of death. Those who've died in Christ, their bodies will experience not a resuscitation, but something more profound, more powerful, more transformative, a resurrection of physical bodies. And resurrection always means bodies raised and transformed to live in this new reality, this new world. The resurrection of our bodies, the abolition of death, God's people with renewed bodies to live in God's renewed world. This is the great hope of Christianity. And if, if you end Christian, Christianity's kind of goal or aim in heaven, you have diminished Christianity. You've diminished its unique contribution, its unique insight. Now, for some of us, we, we absolutely do that. Because it's just so dang hard to believe in the resurrection of our bodies. It just doesn't fit. It's easier, isn't it, to imagine souls in heaven. But the moment we start talking about a new creation and new bodies that are deathless and are impervious to decay and diminishment, you're like, now, wait a minute. It's hard for us to believe this. Just listen again. It's, it's not just us, but listen again to the first sentence of our scripture reading. First Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 35. 
But someone will ask, how are the dead raised again? With what kind of body do they come? In other words, all right now, I got a bunch of questions. I feel this. I've been teaching on this stuff for decades, and I often get drawn into conversations, and eventually I'm like, yeah, I know. I have no clue. Part of it goes with science, right? I mean, the scientific evidence shows that humans, homo homo sapiens, arose around 200,000 years ago. And since then, it's my understanding, now, all of my degrees are in the humanities, so be careful when I cite science, but it's my understanding that the most common consistent current consensus is that a little over 100 billion humans have lived and died over the last 200,000 years. So that gives me a lot of questions. Like, where are all these people going to go? Like, you think New York City is crowded now, right? <laughs> I just think, okay, wait a minute. If humans have been living and dying for 200,000 years, and some like Homo sapien, 198 million, not 200,000, yeah, 198,000 years ago, if he like, I don't know, ate some bad vegetation, dies, decomposes, deer comes along, eats some vegetation that grew out of his decomposition, wait, now that, so that's like a, and his cells get absorbed into the deer, some like other human shoots the deer, eats the deer, now there's like human deer, human, and then that guy, like, have you ever thought down this? Like, so if we're going to be like our bodies are resurrected, here's how it goes. Is he going to carve off bits of me to like go back to the other people that were originally, that I stole their cells? You know, this like, this kind of gets really difficult. If all across time and space, people who have died in Christ are raised, like I said earlier, where are they all going to live? So, I mean, there's not enough room on this planet. Everybody's complaining now about the challenge of the human population to the space of the planet. So maybe life will migrate elsewhere in the galaxy. And then there's this whole issue of a human body living forever, right? This is hard for me to figure out. I wonder what age will I be? Like 18? I mean, there's some advantage and there's some disadvantage to that. Will I be the age I am when I die? Or maybe the Jesus age, 33. Like, are we just going to like plateau and like cruise out there for eternity? Am I going to grow older? Doesn't growing older require decay? These are all questions that I've had sat around with people for years and years. And I'm like, I just don't know. And they were asking those questions back then. These are important questions. They're so important that the Bible doesn't hide from them. This issue of how hard it is to conceive of the resurrection of the body, to understand how this will happen, what it will look like, this is important stuff. And so this is what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 39. If you have your Bible, turn there. And what we're going to see is that Paul responds to this challenge of understanding this on four levels. Um, Three levels, and then he applies it on a a fourth one. So the first level is in verses 36 and 37. The second is in verses 38 through 41. The third is in verses 42 through 44. And then he applies it in verses 45 to 49. So let's just walk through this. Um, In the first two verses, this is verse 36 and 37. Paul says, look, I know this is hard to believe. This is hard to wrap your mind around. Nature... 
gives us some helpful analogies or models for understanding death and resurrection and the way this will play out. Listen again to, to these verses, verses 36 and 37. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. This is really helpful, I think. If you've ever planted something from a seed, you've seen this amazing thing happen, right? You put a seed in the ground and this other thing comes up. Uh, In my own garden over the last month or so, I've planted from seed arugula and fennel and cucumber and zucchini and corn and okra. Very important. Virginia needs okra. Radishes. I've cheated on tomatoes. I don't have patience to do the seedlings in my house over the winter. But when you put a seed in, yesterday I put some sunflower seeds in the ground. And you wait, and 7, 10, 14 days later, this thing starts pushing up through the soil. And it looks nothing like the seed. In fact, as time goes by, if I pull up the plant, I can't find any vestige. Uh, You know, at one point I can pull up the plant and there's still a piece of the seed down there. Like some squirrel's been burying peanuts in my garden. I pull up these things and there's a peanut on the bottom of it um, if I get them at the right time. But eventually the seed totally goes away. You can't find even a vestige of it. So what happens is the seed comes to the end of its life and it's transformed into something else, but it's the same entity. And this is nature giving a parable, an analogy, a model of what the resurrection of our body will be. God is able to do with our bodies what happens with seeds. We will have a new body in continuity with the old, but somehow different. He'll change our form, but keep our identity. Just yesterday, I was planting some beans. I do succession planting with beans, lots of little rows, so we can eat them all through the late summer and fall. And one row of beans is coming up, and I put in seeds by another. And it was just so vivid. This seed is going to turn into that. The seed is going to come to the end of its existence, but this entity, this life experience will be transformed and will be a new, more glorious mode of existence. This is helpful. I'm not saying this proves the resurrection, but this helps us understand the picture the Bible is painting of new, but continuity. In verses 33 to 48, we get another level of response. And Paul says here, look, I understand that this seed analogy helps us to imagine something, but it still doesn't answer how it actually happens, how it works out. And what Paul says in this middle section is, look, whether or not we can understand and imagine how this works really isn't relevant because it's God who does it. It's God who will design and create our new bodies. Look, what's going on here in verses 38 through 41 is this trying to get us to realize that even when we can't fully comprehend how, we can still learn to believe because we believe in the God who did creation. 
Verse 38, God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in our galaxy. Now, what, what he's doing here is he's saying God in Genesis 1 created the sun, the moon, stars, trees, and plants, birds, and fish. And this whole new creation thing, this is going to be a new act of creation. Everything depends on God, on his infinite resourcefulness, which has already been demonstrated in his resourcefulness at creation. God has already shown that he created organisms and entities and modes of being appropriate for every condition or environment. Think about it. God can make a thing for a place. Like he can make animals and their bodies are designed to work on earth. And fish have a different kind of body that's designed to work in water. And birds have a different kind of body that's designed to work in the sky. And stars are designed, designed to work in the heavens and planets and God is not going to be caught off guard by the challenges of creating our bodies so that they can live in a decayless, deathless, um, immortal environment. Remember what I said earlier. One day, the last day of this age, Jesus will appear, heaven and earth will come together, and God will send a shockwave of resurrection throughout the entire cosmos. It will kill death and rescue our bodies from the grip of death. And those who have died in Christ, their bodies have to be made for this new deathless environment. This is not simply a resuscitation. A resurrection is when physical bodies are raised in a new way entirely. And here's the point at hand. When this happens, Paul is drawing us back to Genesis 1 to say, this will be a fresh act as powerful, as infinitely creative, as infinitely resourceful as the original act of creation. And what God is going to do in that moment is undo the effects of sin and death on God's beautiful creation. God has created before, he can do it again. He has demonstrated that he has the power and the creativity to pull this off. So Paul is saying, look, whether or not we can imagine how to pull it off, whether or not we can understand how this all works is irrelevant because it's God who does this. It's God who designs and creates our new bodies. And look, a thousand years from now, a hundred thousand years from now, we're going to know a lot more about astrophysics. A hundred thousand years from now, if the Lord is tarried, we're going to know so much more about this world. We might understand a little better how this will happen. But regardless, if God created all things, he has the power and the creativity and the resourcefulness to recreate all things. And so, just imagine for a minute the power of God and the creativity required to create this universe with how vast and diverse it is. The universe, a 14 billion 
year-long arrow of creation. And here we are as humans finally arriving some 200,000 years ago as choice-making, word-speaking, energy-transforming creatures that bear the image of God. And just think with awe and wonder how this long story points outside itself to the majesty and the power and the creativity of the creator. This creation that has been sidetracked by sin is now being renewed and transformed in Christ as God's future is breaking into the present. And one day there will be a second big bang as the energy of the resurrection pulses through the cosmos. Now, in the final verses, verses, or in the next set of verses, verses 42 through 44, what Paul does is said, okay, if we can get unstuck from how it happened, let's go back to what it will be. And he provides four contrasts between our body now and our resurrected body. First of all, in verse 42, he says, here's one contrast. Our current body is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Another way of translating this is that our current bodies are decaying. Our resurrection bodies will be undecaying. The reason it's important to recognize that that these are ing words is that this phrase is talking about a process difference. It's not talking about Mortal versus immortal. It's talking about a process, not a quality. Uh, To say that our current bodies experience decay means they go through the process of decaying, of decreasing capacities, of increasing weakness, of, of, of ready exhaustion, ultimately stagnation. Our earthly bodies begin the process of dying quite early on in life. This is not about duration. Our resurrection bodies, not only are they going to be immortal, not only are they going to be incorruptible or imperishable, they will live in the opposite state of decay. Our resurrection bodies will do the opposite of decay. They will progressively flourish in fullness of life. Our bodily existence will not be less physical. We will have an increasing vitality and strength. Now, in so many of the fantasy books and literature and movies, the immortal person is miserable because they're stuck. But the Christian vision of the resurrected body is an increasing vitality, a growing in flourishing. I mean, holy, can you imagine Going from your best state, best state, further, further, knowing more. Can you imagine a hundred thousand years from the, from the return of Christ, you and I will meet in some corner of this galaxy and we will still be growing, still be learning, still be experiencing increases in vitality and flourishing. This is a, this is amazing. What, what a, what an incredible idea. The second quality difference between the first our current bodies and new bodies verse 43 our current body is sown in dishonor 
It is raised in glory. Or you could translate sown in shame, raised in glory. Or sown in humiliation, raised in splendor. This is about how our current bodies are too often vehicles for unworthy behaviors and attitudes. This is not about the composition of our bodies, the material we're made of. This is about the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those moments when you get a glimpse of this is when you see in the face of a lover or a loved one, radiant joy. And you, you would even maybe say their face is shining. One day, the last tatters and shreds of sin will no longer be present to cloud the sun. A third difference between our bodies now and our resurrection bodies comes at the end of verse 43. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Think of the ways our bodies now are weak. We're ravaged, aren't we? By time and constraints, we have energy. We have injuries. My left knee still has not recovered from my experience of COVID. It still gives out. It never gave out before COVID. When I, when I got out of the hospital bed after COVID, it gave out and it continued. It had, it, it's still like that. We have incapacities. As a result of COVID, driving is very difficult for me. Just yesterday, I was having a long, several hour conversation with a good friend and in the middle of it, I totally forgot his name. And I had to ask him, what is your name? And some of you are saying, yeah, I do that all the time. But I'm not nearly as old as you. <laughs> like, that's an old man problem. I was in my prime when I... Uh... Sometimes, um, you know, my brain has changed because of COVID, because of the lack of oxygen. Sometimes our weaknesses are exacerbated by our mistakes, sinful choices, the abuse of our bodies through addiction or overindulgence. Sometimes the weakness we experience in our body, it's the burdens derived from our bondage to sin. But our resurrection bodies will be released from that. Released from our past, released from the hold of sin, released from the process of degeneration, released from limitations, released from the ravages of time and disease. Our bodies will become transformed into the likeness of Christ, not just our minds, but our bodies. Nothing will weigh us down or exhaust our new bodies. Instead of weakness, we will have power for the life of the new creation. And in 1 Corinthians, by the time you get to chapter 15, Paul means something very specific by power. He means power to carry out God's will in the strength of his spirit. Won't that be glorious? You'll have all the power you need to carry out the will of God. No more waking up one morning and just ruining the weaknesses. All the power there. 
Finally, a fourth difference between our current bodies and our resurrection body comes up in verse 44. It has sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And, and this is tricky to understand because we, we misunderstand what the word spiritual here means. This is tricky to read. A, a helpful way to translate this phrase that undercuts our propensities to misdefine spiritual is our current body has sown an ordinary human body. It has raised a body driven by the Spirit, constituted by the Spirit. You see, this isn't about a difference between a physical body now and then we accidentally redefine the word spiritual to mean non-physical. Spiritual doesn't mean non-physical in this phrase, in this book. It means of the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, constituted by the Spirit. Our resurrection body will be fueled by the uninterrupted, transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Now, our current bodies are open to the influence of the Spirit, but it's in partial ways. We still deny God's presence and God's power. We still act selfishly, but our new creation bodies will be perfectly open and perfectly filled and perfectly energized and driven by the spirit of God. And then what he does in the last few verses, verses 45 to 49, he takes all of that and he says, look, There's this idea running around in their day. It came from Philo. It was a philosophical view in the day that said, first, God created a a heavenly prototype of spirit, and then it downgraded to physical, and one day we upgrade again to immaterial spiritual. And Paul says, baloney. The physical was first. He says, you cannot use this teaching to act like your body doesn't matter, to hate your body, to deny your body. You can use this teaching to long for the renewal of the body, but when you long for the renewal, be careful in your longing to get out of the brokenness that you don't become pagan and longing to forever live without the body. Paul is pointing out that the way God made us, our flesh and blood bodies have been created flesh and blood, and that is good. God has chosen to make humans with bodies, and the Christian hope is the healing of the body. And even though we have all this frailty, all these constraints, when God took on flesh, he took on flesh. We need to celebrate being humans as we long for the healing and perfecting of our bodies. As with Jesus' resurrection, so will be ours. This thing doesn't end gloriously in a ghost state. This thing ends, like Jesus, with a raised, resurrected body. This will not be a strange distortion of our original humanity we will become the very thing we were made for in the first place. And notice once again, when the Bible talks about resurrection, it does not talk about being raised in order to go to heaven. Heaven is the resting place for our souls, but one day at the end of the age, God will transform the bodies of Christians into renewed, deathless Glorious bodies. This is the hope set before us in the resurrection. And it's all based on the fact that Jesus himself, the Messiah, already possesses this new type of body. And one day, we have the hope 
that we will too. Let's pray.